0: Hey, hotcakes. Welcome to Hot Take. I'm Amy Amy Westervelt. Westervelt, I was mocking you. (laughs) You can start over.
1: (laughs) And I'm Mariana East-Hegler. Amy, climate change is really making it so... Belt this yeah. month with fires, floods, and heat waves, and probably a bunch of other shit I'm forgetting to name. Um, it's kind of wild to watch all that happen, and meanwhile, these old white guys in Washington are still like, "I'll trade you one oil
0: lease for one wind farm." Right? I know. I'm tired of like having to keep track every day of like the new bullshit that Mansion is trying to peddle, and. I don't know. Oh, my God, yes. Like, keeping track of that and all of the climate disasters happening right now is kind of making my head spin. I was just actually reading about the Oak Fire in California, which I, ha- I just assumed was out because I hadn't read about it since it started, but it's still, like, less than half contained. So mm. this is, like, the one that was threatening Yosemite. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know. It just got me thinking too about how the way that we cover these things really needs to change because it's sort of like everything gets coverage the day that it hits or like the day that it, you know, hits a particular size if it's a fire and then we kind of never hear about it again, which is not the experience of yeah. like the people in that community. Right. So, Yeah.
1: Yeah. It seems like the last time the media has been able to cover a disaster long term really was Katrina. Yes, yes. Honestly, like Maria didn't, Maria deserved Katrina level coverage and didn't get it. And honestly, just like hurricanes in general deserve that type of coverage because now no hurricane is like touching, you know, ground that hasn't been already hurt by a hurricane. Right, so right. And same thing with fires, because there's another fire that's already surpassed uh, Oak yep. Fire, and it's the largest fire in Northern California right yep. now. And then there's the heat waves that are continuing everywhere, including the one in India, which everybody act like that one right. ended. Also, in Basra, Iraq, the temperatures are over 120 degrees this <sighs> week. And people there have had no electricity for 15 that- days. That is more than two weeks.
0: And we're not seeing, like, I really hadn't seen much about this at all in the media, uh, with the exception of The Times UK and the BBC, which have have kind of been tracking things happening in Iraq in general. The Times was tracking everything happening in Basra. Um, And of course, these are UK media outlets. Why are they so interested in Basra? Well, because guess who controls the oil fields there, Mary?
1: Um, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, is it it's BP? BB.
0: Yeah, it's BP.
1: <laughs> so predictable. <laughs> so predictable. Yeah. Fuck those guys.
0: Yeah. They created a whole like um sub company called the Bro- the Basra Oil Company that, you know, gets the blame for a lot of this stuff, but the buck should really stop <laughs> with BP. The Basra Oil uh-huh. Company? <laughs> yeah. Just a, a mom oh, and pop boy. oil shop in Iraq. Mary. Um, (laughs) Right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. (sighs) Meanwhile,
1: (laughs) the heat dome is back in the Pacific Northwest. Um, And last week it was the East Coast and Western Europe. And this week it's the Pacific Northwest. It's just like frying like an egg. There's expected to be even more heat next week. And let's remember what's going on in India, like we just talked about. There have been 200 heat waves in India this year. And last year, there were 36 total there. Also, have you heard about how they're naming heat waves now? I
0: had not heard that. Wow.
1: Yeah, they, they've named a, a heat wave in um in in Spain, and apparently they're going to keep doing that. And it comes with, like, all these different categories of, like, kind of, like, categorizing them. Like, like hurricanes?
0: Yeah, wow. like hurricanes. That's, that's, yeah. like, a real sign kind of, of where of we're necessary, at. necessary. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Wow.
0: Yeah. It's all really scary, and it's pretty relentless. Like, I feel like this is maybe the longest we've gone with, like, really... No break in in coverage of pretty significant climate disasters, just like one right after yeah. the other, which is why, you know, growing the fossil fuel industry right now makes no goddamn sense. It really so does. we're gonna talk and about that today. Really <laughs> we're gonna does. talk about what's happening in the US, where you know, again, Joe Manchin always on that bullshit. And and globally where there's like a, a real major oil boom happening. But we're really, we're not really hearing about it much in the media. I think, you know, there was this big story in the New York Times this past week about what's happening in the Congo. And I know I saw like a lot of people going, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. And I'm like, yeah, this is happening a lot all over the world. And we're just not Mm -hmm. hearing about it. So, so, yeah, yeah.
1: we're going to get into all of that. And Amy's got a billionaire to burn. So you ready?
0: Yep. It's time to talk about climate.
1: have you heard about the great news that Joe Manchin has finally seen the light and he has come out as a climate hero? It can happen, okay? Like, your climate-denying uncle can can turn into, I don't know, some sort of activist at some point. I don't know. I, I can't keep doing this, Amy. What, what the fuck happened here? What am
0: I looking at? <laughs> oh, God. I feel like Joe Manchin right now is like... That guy, I feel like everyone has worked with someone like this who's just like, that won't work, that won't work, nope, that's no good. And then they propose, like, the shittiest version of of everyone's ideas as their own, and they're like, this is Mm. the way. (laughs) You're like, man. Is
1: is that how you would describe the Inflation Reduction Yes,
0: yes. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you (laughs) know— Joe Manchin dragged his feet on Build Back Better. Then he said, if you, you know, get this infrastructure act passed, then I will work with you on the Build Back Better stuff. Then, of course, he turned his back on that and was like, I didn't say that. (laughs) Uh, Classic, classic Joe. Um, And now he has proposed his own bill, which is the Inflation Reduction Act, which does include some funding for – clean energy, quite a bit of funding, you know, it's like over $300 billion in funding for stuff that most climate folks agree we need funding for giveaways for the fossil fuel industry in here. I think the reactions, honestly, I feel like have been pretty extreme on, on like one side or the other, you know, it's like you either have people who are like, you know, I don't care. There's all this bad stuff in it. We have to get this passed because if we don't get it passed, we're not going to get anything for climate and like 360 billion or 370 billion for clean energy is worth putting up with all these other things. And, and, you know, we can solve these other things in other ways later. And then you have um, yeah. a lot of people also being like, no, you know, we shouldn't even engage with this because it's total bullshit and, you you know as we know from the past right if we agree to compromises like this they never end up g- going well for climate so i don't know it's yeah. it's a it's a complicated situation and ah, yeah i just i i feel very torn about it because on the one hand yes i do want funding for clean energy and i do want some kind of climate um, appropriations to be happening, but I'm very concerned mm-hmm. about the types of trade offs that are being demanded here. And I d- I really dislike the way that some folks have been kind of shutting down any criticism at all. I don't think that that's helpful. I don't think it's helpful. I don't think
1: that's helpful either. at all to be
0: like just just hold your nose and Shh. you know get through it, and we'll get to these other things later, right? Um, I I also think that there's an argument to be made for, okay, well, you know, some of these things um, are really, really necessary and we're not going to get them any other way, you know? And, but I just, I just don't like the like kind of zero sum all in or all out way that this is being discussed so far.
1: I mean, it's being discussed on Twitter, right? And that's where nuance goes to
0: die. On Twitter and media, too. I think like, but even in some of the media coverage, it's like maybe because the the experts that people are talking to are also kind of like really you know, firmly on like one side or the other, you know, and I'm like, ah. I mean, the thing
1: that gives me the most pause is that I understand there's a lot of funding in there for CCS, uh, which is uh, Carbon Capture and Storage for for folks who don't live in, you know, acronym land. Um, And so carbon capture and storage would mean just like, first of all, it doesn't really exist. So, the way I'm gonna describe it is gonna sound fantastical because it is fantastical. It's basically attaching some sort of contraption to a power plant, sucking all the carbon out, and then storing that carbon somewhere. No one knows how to do this safely. And the places where those power plants generally are is near what we call frontline communities because they're like on the front lines of of the climate crisis, right? And these tend to be black and brown communities that are near this infrastructure. And those are the communities where this... Oh, carbon would allegedly be stored or also where, like, these these power plants and these this fossil fuel infrastructure also releases other harmful gases. And this would do nothing. Carbon capture and storage would do nothing right. to protect them from those gases, right? So, like, those people are still going to suffer. So I'm very concerned about a bill that, like, has all this funding for carbon capture and storage, but very little regulation for it, as I understand. Right.
0: Right. Well, and... We're talking about, like, an industry – I mean, to me, the thing that, that, like, always blows my mind about carbon capture and storage and, like, the idea of building out a massive carbon capture and storage industry is that it would be largely controlled by the oil and gas industry, um, which Newsflash doesn't have a great track record on safely storing and transporting (laughs) – Things that are dangerous to human health and it would require building out like a whole new pipeline infrastructure for compressed CO2, which is incredibly dangerous if it's leaked. So like there's been some this has happened already. Yeah. There was a story in um, HuffPost last year about Mm -hmm. um, about this where there was a leak from a carbon capture project.
1: Oh, right. And it basically turned everybody into a zombie. Yes, it, like, poisoned a whole town in Mississippi. And, like... Yes, people were hallucinating and going, like, fucking nuts. And
0: frothing at the mouth. And, like, I mean, it was really, really, really... Yes. ...crazy. Yes. Yeah. And that was... That's the potential for compressed CO2 if it leaks. That's what what happens to large communities of people. So, like, yeah, not only are you not addressing the issue of... Volatile organic compounds coming out of oil refineries and and sort of related oil operations. But also you're cre- you're you're creating a whole new problem. <laughs> right.
1: Know? Exactly. And that's why the environmental justice movement exists in the first place, yeah. because the white environmental movement has a tendency to create problems or let's say Mm -hmm. solutions that create problems for these communities. And so I think there is this knee-jerk reaction to a bill like this from those sorts of communities being like, hey, wait a minute, we already know we can't trust you. And so all of this like, oh, we're going to come back and clean that up later. And we have to build this now, you know, because otherwise, like, we won't get anything at all ever. That rings really hollow to environmental justice communities that have been hearing that literally for decades or more if you really want to look at it. So, yeah, I think yes, we need to get some climate action done, but after a while, if you keep having the same unintended consequences on the same communities, it is no longer an unintended consequence. It's an allowable casualty. And that's that's not okay. You can't expect people to be okay with sacrificing themselves and everything that they love for the, quote, greater good that they will never live to see. So, right. you know... Right. Yes, we need to pass this bill, but, like, the bill could use some work, maybe? Yeah. I
0: do know. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, I mean, but I also think that it's, like, it's not like we were on track to pass great climate policy and this is derailing it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. even with the Mountain Valley Pipeline stuff, it's, like, Mansion has been pushing that forever. This is, it's an LNG pipeline, right? So this is liquid mm-hmm. natural gas. And, you know, two months ago... Biden signed this deal with the European Union to supply a, a, a large amount of liquid liquefied natural gas to Europe with demand locked in for the next 10 years. So, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like we need to look at, like, the entire way that this party and this administration is looking at this issue. And, like, it's it's a, a lot of problems all the way through <laughs> And I think, you know, for Manchin, it's like, what? Natural gas is better than coal, right?
1: The other thing I wanted to ask you about, though, so Manchin didn't write this by, his, by himself. He wrote it with Schumer. Kristen Cinema was not in the room. Where is she? Has anyone laid eyes on this chick lately?
0: I fully expect there to be, like, some issue coming from her. She She's sort of, like, hemmed and hawed about not being... Having not been consulted about the stuff related to to pharmaceuticals and Medicare in this, which I feel like that part of the bill hasn't really gotten nearly as much attention as the climate stuff, but there is some some good stuff for healthcare in here, including actually funding healthcare for people with black lung disease. You know, Joe Manchin was also pushing. It's wild to me, wild that he's like, we need to take care of people with black lung, but like, let's totally. Like, get the next version of Black Lung going with all of this, like, fossil fuel and, and natural gas stuff, you know? Like, just, oh just no awareness there whatsoever.
1: Yeah, I did a quick Google, and here's what Fox News headline says. Cinema okay. still, undec- <laughs> Cinema still <laughs> undecided on mansion social spending bill will make determination after parliamentarian review. I'm oh sorry, boy. so on Fox News, it is now called the, the mansion social spending bill. And you know what? Let me click off of this before my computer self destroys <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> uh, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very much the sort of like the market will take care of the rest. If we just fund a lot of renewable energy, then, you know, there will the, – the market will magically just turn away from fossil fuels. And, and unfortunately, what we know from the fossil fuel industry is that – They don't just respond to market signals. (laughs) That's Mm. just not a thing. They tell this story like we're just supplying a demand. If the, you know, we're just operating within the markets, we're just behaving according to what the the public wants and what people want to buy, right? But, you know, if you look back at what happened when, Americans got really good at conserving energy in the 1970s when there was legitimately restrained supply because there was an oil embargo against the U.S. from OPEC and there was genuinely less oil available to the United States at that time. Americans got really good at conserving. And there's all these shareholder magazines and internal memos from from the 80s when all of a sudden, because they had lobbied for being able to drill in more places and, and whatnot, they had a, a sudden increase in, in supply. But people were not consuming as much as they once had. And there's there are mm-hmm. all of these oil executives kind of being like, what are we going to do? How are we going to get people consuming more gas again, more electricity again? And the answer was just like tinker with the prices get the prices low enough and you can get people consuming more. And, you know, of course, some creative like PR and marketing and all that stuff too. So this idea that like they will just go quietly into the night if if there's a market preference for decarbonized energy, it's just not what we've ever seen that industry do. And I think Mm -hmm. relying on that is pretty foolish. Again, I do also think that, the spending on clean energy and that the permitting stuff that would actually make it possible to have large scale renewable energy. So, I mean, just so people understand, like without these permitting reforms, large scale renewable energy won't necessarily work in the US. Also, I think without the sort of long-term commitments to renewable energy in this bill, it it's very hard for the solar and wind industries to keep growing. They they have been mm-hmm. in this weird Holding pattern for the last decade, where like they gen like they literally have to wait until the end of the year every year to to find out if they're like going to get certain programs funded the next year. It's wow. insane. Like, how can you make business decisions that way? You know, right? So this would give them okay, you have like a decade of runway, right? Like you can you can take a breath and you can actually build out. Larger projects, and you're going to be able to get that energy distributed because we're going to fix all of the, these transmission issues. So, these are genuinely like major, major, major blockers to energy transition that need to be dealt with. I just don't understand why we have to give up on decarbonization entirely in order to get them. It's not the best solution from purely a climate perspective, which is how. We really need politicians to be looking at this because, like, we've talked about a million times on this show and, you know, last week on Positively Dreadful. Mm -hmm. Like, as much as politicians would like this to be a neat and tidy issue that works just like healthcare policy, it just doesn't. It doesn't. You know, we have a limited amount of time here. And, like, the physics don't change (laughs) because your campaign changes, you know.
1: The stakes are so much higher, right? Like, with every other issue – you're hurting people today and you could stop tomorrow. But with climate change, you're hurting people tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after. And it's like, it's difficult to go back and recover those lives. You can recover some of them as well you should, which is basically what we're doing right now. Locking in warming is a bad idea. But the thing about Mm -hmm. the mansion bill is that it's not the only place where climate action is happening. There's a couple of other places too. And we're going to talk about them after the break.
0: Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors, which is bad news because according to the EPA, indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. In some cases, it could be 100 times more polluted. Data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths around the world. I have a strange little problem in my neck of the woods, and that is that everybody likes to burn their garden trash and other trash, too. Lots of trash burning going on in my neighborhood. Not great. Air Doctor has really, really helped. I just fire it up on days when I can tell everybody's lighting their trash fires and it keeps the household air clean air doctor is the air purifier that has captured the attention of established media outlets like cnn money abc and more air doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens like pollen pet dander dust mites and mold so your lungs don't have to air doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee so if you don't love it just send it back for a refund minus shipping Head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code DRILLED to get up to 39% off or up to $300 off depending on the model. Lock this special offer in by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code And it fights everyday stains and odors. You get a powerful clean, but you don't have to deal with all that packaging. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earthbreeze and save 40% for 4-0, 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription earthbreeze.com slash drilled so
1: amy what's the latest with the climate emergency are we doing that or what
0: I have no idea. I do think that some of the talk of climate emergency might have helped to, like, further these negotiations that happened. I do also want to mention a couple of other things. One is that there was a protest of the congressional baseball game. Now, you and I are not, like, D.C. people, Mary. So, so I think for me, I'm like, who cares about a congressional ball game? People care. People I didn't even lot. know Congress played sports. I really didn't. Yeah, they do, and this game um, is is of course sponsored by a bunch of corporations. Is, is Among BP them, one of them? Yes, BP and Chevron Amen. are were two of the corporate sponsors of this baseball game the police response to this was insane i saw it on twitter there was a video i mean we're talking about like you know a couple dozen people who were holding up signs and and like chanting a bit but they were not being you know aggressive or violent in any way and the dc metro police Capitol police and park police were called along with the stadium's private security they um, were, like, yanking people's banners away from them. Wow. And they arrested everyone. So, yeah, anyway, there there was there was quite a bit of, of protest when it looked like the Democrats were just going to kind of say, okay, well, we're just not going to get any kind of climate stuff um, done in the budget conversations and this, this budget reconciliation thing that's been dragging on and on. So that was happening, I think, the threat of maybe – Biden declaring a climate emergency played into it. In as his well. speech he
1: did say the words climate and emergency together? A lot? Yeah. Or close together? Mm-hmm. A lot? He didn't declare
0: yeah. a climate emergency, but I, I I felt it coming. I did. Yeah, well, also I think it's important to note that he has done a couple of the things that People want him to do as part of declaring a climate emergency. Like he's already done those things even without declaring an emergency. So as, oh, as part of the quiet. response, <laughs> it's been real quiet. Part of the as part of the response to the um, to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and you know the high gas prices and whatnot, he did um, use the Defense Production Act to get money to solar manufacturers and heat pump manufacturers and to try to offset. People's electricity bills that was something that was being really heavily pushed by cory bush who again I, i'm like where's the coverage of of cory bush and all this stuff yeah. she's been like pushing a lot of really interesting stuff you know like i i rarely see her name come up in discussions about climate negotiations or climate policy
1: well you know black women tend to get erased so yeah
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the Defense Production Act is something that shows up in this mansion stuff. And it's also something that people have talked about as budget that Biden would be able to access if he declares a climate emergency. So there's some talk of like, well, could he do both? Like, could he, if he were like a Mitch McConnell type of politician, he would get this deal with Manchin done and then turn around, declare a climate emergency and use executive powers to to block any of the fossil fuel stuff yeah. in in the bill. But he's no Mitch. He's no Mitch. And that would probably just land him in, at you know, in front of the Supreme Court, which we all know how that would be likely to go. So there's some talk of like, well, you know, he could still declare a climate emergency and use it maybe to fund some of the environmental justice programs that are not showing up in this bill. So there's, there's a lot of like, get this bill passed first, and then the climate emergency stuff becomes that much easier to do.
1: Can he use executive power to get rid of the subsidies to fossil fuel companies?
0: I mean, he promised to do that. Mm-hmm. I recall. So <laughs> you know, I recall. I'm not sure if that has to be approved by Congress or not. If it has to have congressional backing or not, but that that seems like such low hanging fruit. But then you know, like we're seeing what's in this Mansion Bill. I don't. I don't envision getting rid of subsidies for fossil fuel companies being something that they go for. Mm -hmm. Again, I feel like the thing I keep coming back to over and over too is, is um, this conversation that we had with Kate Aronoff earlier this year about nationalizing oil companies. Right. right, The reason that we're so beholden to them is because the government has given them so much fucking power. Like even in, in the wake of all the Russia, Ukraine stuff, you know, you had Biden and congressional Democrats basically like begging the fossil fuel companies to produce more oil or to lower prices or you know and it's like well we could nationalize the fossil fuel industry and then start a managed transition away from fossil fuels and I'm increasingly feeling like that might that's like looking more and more like one of the few real options here because I'm not seeing in this in this mansion stuff like a lot of of hope that the government that the US government is up to the task of actually mm-hmm. dealing with this issue.
1: Yeah. Which so there's some interesting stuff going on in Europe right now, right?
0: Yeah. So I, it's actually like kind of interesting to see in contrast with the US like how how Europe is handling both climate but also the the high gas prices and the heat waves right now. Germany just pushed through a 90% rate decrease on public transit so that people won't be as reliant on gas for their cars. And that kind of removes this whole pain at the pump problem, right? Mm -hmm. So that's pretty interesting. It
1: removes some of Putin's power too, right?
0: It does. It does. It removes some of Putin's power. It reduces the need, which means that more of those needs can be fulfilled by other sources. You know, there's a lot of... I think it's I, to me. I'm just like, oh, this just seems very logical. Um, France is nationalizing its utility to be able to control home energy prices. So they're concerned about not not necessarily pain at the pump, but more people's electricity bills and how they're starting to skyrocket because of everything that's happening with Russia, Ukraine, and the need for more natural gas. So there again, you know, it's like, okay, I'm very, very tired of the U.S. government kind of throwing up their hands and saying like, well, we're just beholden to this industry. You don't have to be. Mm -hmm. Belgium is my favorite example. Um, This is not necessarily like super practical or – um, you know, like a policy I'm I'm suggesting necessarily. I just found it to be like um something lighthearted to throw in here, which is that they're building a giant ass public pool. They're building like the world's largest public pool for people to cool off in during heat waves, which I'm like, yeah, but I like it. I like this idea. Why not? Why can't we get creative about how we're gonna help people? you know, deal with this situation. So, yeah, I just, I want to like underscore again, too, that, you know, the thing that Manchin keeps talking about as his big reason for, for not wanting to rock the boat too much with the fossil fuel industry is inflation. And that's part of why he's calling this the Inflation Reduction Act. And what we're looking at with inflation right now is really, it's all being driven by high gas prices and, those high gas prices are not just happening because of like, like a simple straightforward supply and demand problem. Mm -hmm. The, the oil industry, like they, you know, they control about like 70% of what goes into pricing gas. Um, they like to like pretend that it's all just, again, like, Oh, we have no control over the price. You know, the price of gas is the price of gas, nothing to do with us. That's bullshit. That's not true. Um, There is not currently actually a uh, restricted supply of oil in the U.S., so that's also bullshit. Like, this is not a, like, natural reaction to there being less oil and therefore less gas at gas stations. There is no gas shortage.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a big-ass destabilizer. It's a big destabilizer. You can't have shit if the planet ain't really fucking with you no more. Yeah. Um, The other thing about Europe I just want to mention is that, you know, Europe gets left out of these conversations about, um, you know, the biggest emissions producers in the world we talked about this on the episode with darna but if you calculate their historical emissions when they were empires which was not long ago their carbon footprint is ginormous um and then also if you factor in that a lot of these big fossil fuel companies today are based in europe their carbon footprint is skyrocketing so yeah they're not blameless
0: I think we need to really rethink like how carbon footprints are calculated for for companies and countries because like this happens with the U.S. a lot too, right? That people will say, well, U.S. emissions have been going down in the last decade, blah, blah, blah. And that completely ignores the fact that U.S. oil companies are the ones that are expanding fossil fuel use everywhere else in the world. (laughs) You know, same with Europe. It's like Total, BP, Shell. Those are, you know, like if you look at You know, the largest oil companies in the world, most of them are either European or American, with the exception of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, and a couple of state-run... Russia's Rosneft, like, you know... And China's. Exactly, exactly. But, like, I don't really get how companies that are expanding oil production all over the world that are headquartered in your country don't count towards your carbon footprint.
1: Yeah, Ecuador didn't fuck up its own rainforest. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was Chevron. They did not.
0: Yeah, that's right. And 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 Chevron Chevron will always go, oh, but Petro Ecuador. But Chevron trained and Texaco trained all of the people who run Petro Ecuador. Like any bad habits they have were learned from American companies. So, ugh, yeah, yeah. It's I like just. what you were
1: saying earlier about the Iraq oil company. Yes.
0: Yeah. The Bostro Oil Company. Bostro Oil Company. The ba- just, a, just a, you know, just a little indie oil company. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So again, I feel like, you know, yes, we need this funding for clean energy. Yes, we need some kind of climate legislation. Yes, climate funding of some kind is better than no funding. But I think that the... The idea that, like, you know, any price is worth it for um, for these clean energy advancements. I just don't know that I agree with that. And I also just don't know that, like, we absolutely have to cave on every single thing to get these clean energy yeah, improvements. For sure. So
1: we're going to talk a little bit more about some oil colonialism and Amy's favorite billionaire to hate these days. But get to that in just a minute.
0: Okay, so one thing that has come up quite a bit as we're talking about U.S. climate policy is the fact that, you know, climate change is not constrained by borders. And there are a lot of countries in the global South that are suffering already from a lot of climate disasters and will suffer more than a lot of folks elsewhere in the world, especially the US and Europe. So kind of related to that, there's a huge explosion of oil colonialism happening Mm -hmm. right now. It's like this kind of second wave or maybe last wave. I've heard people describe it as sort of like this last dash um, to get all the oil out of the ground while these companies still can. And no one wants to be the one left, you know, holding the most worthless oil. So they're all trying to like tap that oil as quickly as they can. (laughs) As much as they say that they're, you know,
1: turning to wind energy and solar energy and becoming all green, they're planning projects
0: that would set off
1: massive amounts of carbon yeah. emissions, right? That's right.
0: Yeah, yeah. that like if you look at the oil developments and gas developments that are planned on their books, they just do not square with these big climate commitments that they're making. Um, and in a lot of cases, they're doing this thing that we talked about with BP earlier, right, where they're like – you know, forming a subsidiary company or a shell company, or they're doing a partnership with like another oil company. And then the, you know, it's, there's a lot of very creative accounting for emissions that's, that's happening. But like, what I really want to, want to talk about is just, there's a, a lot of blame that gets thrown at developing countries or or less developed countries for taking the bait, right? Like, oh, why would you start an oil industry in in 2020? Like, you know what's going to happen. Or, you know, there was this big story in the New York Times about the Congo and how, like, the president there agreed eight months ago to not allow, you know, oil drilling in, in some very ecologically important areas of the country and, and places that are big, big carbon sinks for the world. And then now is kind of going back on that and auctioning off land and people are like, Oh, it's so corrupt. That's terrible. All of this stuff. But like, we have to look at the fact that, that a lot of countries for about 30 or 40 years have been asking for The global north, which has profited enormously from fossil fuel development to help offset the cost of leaving that stuff in the ground, Mm -hmm. right? Like,
1: these companies are also, uh, these countries are also on the front lines of the climate crisis, and nobody's coming to their aid when they suffer a climate disaster. Yeah, I was reading this uh, okay. super long article, but very good article in ProPublica about Barbados um, that's dealing with that exact problem because, yes. you know, in the Caribbean, there's this this really interesting and devastating mix of being hyper on the front lines of climate change and hyper in debt that kind of doesn't exist anywhere else. Mm-hmm. It's like when, you know, folks in the Global North want to ask folks in the Congo why they're con- auctioning off these leases. It's like they don't super have a lot of other options right now.
0: Guyana too, that's a coastal country, right? Like this is a coastal country and Guyana also has the the added layer of like quite a bit of its economy being dependent on ecotourism. So there's a huge risk there that as it becomes more of an oil country, it will lose that side of its economy, which will then only make it more dependent on the oil money, right? It's that's this vicious. like really vicious ugh, like vicious cycle but i've talked to a couple of different people there and they're they're sort of like uh well we have people in extreme poverty we you know like no one is yeah no one is is offering us money to not right drill this oil you know it reminds me of um, actually in in ecuador like in 2012 Uh, The president then, Rafael Correa, he had this idea of like auctioning off um, oil in Yasuni National Park, but not for drilling, for saving. He was like, "If, if we can get X amount of money, you know, from global leaders, we can preserve this national park and not let people drill. And it will also keep X amount of, you know, X millions of barrels of oil in the ground, and that will mean, you know, large emissions savings. And everyone was super excited about it. Like, it got all this media coverage, right? (laughs) It's like Planet Money did a whole podcast about it. It was, you know, all over the news, Democracy Now!, everything. And um, I think out of the, you know, couple hundred million dollars that he was asking for, they got maybe like $20 committed from – from global leaders. And this is like a story that you hear over and over again, right? Like the the first time that less developed countries talked about what's now called loss and damages in international climate negotiations was like the very first one they were talking about in the early Mm nineties. They were like, we need the people that have benefited financially from uh, other nations ability to, to deal with this problem, but also to, incentivize countries with oil reserves to not develop them, you know? And like, here we are. And yeah, you have this, this huge problem with, um, you know, another wave of, of oil colonialism. You've got, so we talked about Guyana we talked about the the Congo it's happening in Namibia. Mm -hmm. It's happening in Mozambique, Barbados like this. I just, I think that people, um, Need to understand that, yeah, this is this is colonialism and that if you don't want these these countries to um, to develop their oil reserves, then they need another means of economic development. And the reason that they don't have it is not because like they aren't working hard enough or they're not talented or skilled enough. Right. It's because they're like they've been colonized and, and kept it. from developing their own industries. And, exploit and yeah. exploited, yeah. So,
1: like, these countries are kind of just getting into a place where they can profit from the oil that's been extracted from their land. So, it's, it's kind of hard to... When you're already cash strapped, you're debt ridden because of all these predatory loans from, you know, the IMF and all of these places. It's really difficult to sit on the oil that you know would make you money when there's no other help coming, which is why climate reparations need to be real.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other really, really fucked up part is that. These oil companies are, of course, not offering great deals to these countries, right? These are like terrible contracts. The contract in Guyana basically requires that the Guyanese government pay for most of the the cost associated with the development of these oil fields before they can make, like, real money off of the oil. It's, like, their percentage of of the take from, you know, these oil fields is minimal until they kind of pay off all of the expenses first, Mm. right? So, like, I was talking to this this analyst who was looking at it, and he was explaining this to me, like, walking me through the the contract. And I was like, wait a minute, so – it, they're never going to make like the kind of money that that they're that they're thinking they would make that makes this a good deal. And he was like, "Yeah, like they're they're basic. They're they're not even." He's like, "What they want to do with this oil money is pay off debt and um, fund some social problems, you know, f- or fund some social programs to help with housing, food security, you know, like the basic things that societies need." And what he's like, the way that it is structured now, they won't even pay off the debt. They won't even get out of debt, you know, by doing And this. again, this is sharecropping.
1: This is sharecropping it is. 101. It
0: absolutely is. is exactly yes. how that
1: system worked.
0: Exactly. It's like, oh, well, you know, but like it's hard for countries that are dealing with extreme debt and poverty and and all these other things to to say no to a large sum of money right now Mm, you know yeah even though it will actually not solve the problem down the road and it will create other problems down the road and it will probably create other um, economic problems down the road you know (laughs) It's hard to say no to tens of of billions of dollars when you're in an extreme amount of debt, right? like it is it's absolutely sharecropping, it's you know those those like payday loans mm-hmm. it's 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 all, it's of all that. predatory it's all, of that.
1: it's all predatory, and yeah. this is why you know again, climate reparations are a solution and not just like a nice thing to do because otherwise it leaves people That's in right. a position where they have no choice but to do stuff like yeah. this,
0: yeah. Exactly. And there's like so many other shitty things that go along with it too. Like in, in Mozambique. So just to, to like blow your mind with with a one stat oh here, the methane emissions from construction of just one LNG train there is going to increase the greenhouse gas emissions of that country, the whole country, by up to 14%. So like, you know, you're turning oh, entire gosh. countries into, into major greenhouse gas emitters, right? But also in Mozambique... There, so Mozambique was like like on its own with no COVID cases for like a really long time at the start of the pandemic. And guess who brought COVID to Mozambique? An oil worker? Fucking oil workers. Of yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like, people who were working on on these LNG plants there. So uh, of course. yeah. I feel like we're yeah. going to need a deeper dive into oil colonialism soon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot lot to talk about. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's happening. It's, you know, it's happening in a lot of places. And, and, you know, the, the oil companies that you hear attached to these things, they are not African oil companies. They are not Latin American oil companies. They are Total, Exxon, Chevron, BP, you know.
1: Total is French Uh, for people who don't know. Total is French. They are French. And they're on Twitter. Go fuck with them. And we'll be back right after this ad. (laughs) Hot Take is brought to you by Birch Living. I have been sleeping pretty good lately, waking up with a lot less back pain. Waking up a little bit more refreshed, and also waking up earlier, which oh. uh, is great for me because I'm a morning person. I like being up when the sun rises. I, do too. I think it's the most beautiful, most peaceful part of the day. You do yes. too,
0: yes. I thought you just didn't sleep, so you were just up. <laughs> I like being up in the morning. It's quiet. Nobody, you know. It's like uh-huh. I don't know. It feels like a sort of a, a like peaceful moment before the craziness of the day. <laughs> it's nice.
1: Exactly. Um, I've had my Birch mattress since April and it's I can definitely like see myself waking up earlier and earlier as a result. So Birch mattresses are stylish, comfortable, and most importantly, they are environmentally conscious. The non-toxic mattresses are made right here in America and they source only the finest quality materials like organic, fair trade cotton, organic wool, and natural latex to create luxurious mattresses designed to give you the best night's sleep. Amy, are are you using your birch mattress
0: i am and same like I, I actually um was having huge back problems from sleeping on mm-hmm. a mattress that was just not just not the right fit for for me, I guess. My hips. Oh, Yeah. I mean, like, maybe some, you know, I think it depends on your, you know, your back and your body type and whatever else. But yeah, I was waking up. I swear I was like, I guess this is just what old age feels like. And um, I am... Having so much less pain and sleeping Mm -hmm. way better and, like, not waking up as much, which I'm now realizing, too, was like, oh, maybe I was waking up a lot because I was uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's awesome.
1: I mean… See, if you can get Amy to sleep, and basically the only other thing that does that is chloroform, <laughs> it's a damn good mattress. Yeah. Um, Birch offers a 100-night risk-free trial. You can try out your new Birch mattress, see how your body adjusts, and if you decide it's not the best fit, you're welcome to return it for a full refund. They believe so strongly in the quality of their mattresses that each mattress includes a 25-year warranty. Birch mattresses are shipped directly from their manufacturing facility to your door for free. The mattress comes rolled up in a box and is super easy to set up. So we want to give all our listeners the ability to enjoy a deep, restful night's sleep with a new mattress from Birch. Birch is giving $400 off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash hot. That's $400 off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep
0: better with Birch. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Whether you're struggling with grief, relationships, or stress, or you're having trouble sleeping or meeting goals, online therapy might be for you. BetterHelp is a secure online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with a licensed professional therapist. They can assess your needs and match you with an accredited therapist in under 48 hours. And you can log into your account anytime to send a message and get timely, thoughtful responses. This is the part I love the most about online therapy because I don't know, like, I just, I feel like um, one of, maybe I need to like talk to my therapist about time management, but I don't have a lot of time and I'm often like, you know, I don't know, up in the middle of the night thinking about some problem or another. So it's helpful to be able to just like send a note whenever mm-hmm. I want to. Um, it's also really great for, for folks who don't live in areas where there's a lot of therapists that are accessible to them, right? Like they have lots of different oh people um, available who have a ton of different types of expertise. So you can always kind of find someone no matter where you are.
1: Even if you do live in a city with a lot it's of still hard to like, find the right match. 65, yeah. Yeah. As I, as I learned from John Oliver this week, 65% of psychologists in the United States are not taking new patients. Wow. So Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. It's real. That is really – It's real out here. That's that's staggering. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Head to betterhelp.com. If you go to betterhelp.com slash hot take, you can join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Hot take listeners get not an in Instagram account. Yes. <laughs> oh it's sorry, true. Sorry. It's true. Hot take listeners get ten percent off their first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash hot take. That's betterhel dot com slash hot take.
1: Okay, so I have a story that I've been dying to talk to you about that I I think you might have been following it a little bit, too. So stop me if you've heard this one already. So in Mariposa County, which is pretty near where the Oak Fire is burning, which has burned more than 19,000 acres, pretty scary. People have been being greeted by people in like camouflage and military gear but they are not the sheriff's office. They're not, it's not the national guard. It is members of the echo company militia. <laughs> are you hearing about this?
0: Yes. Okay. I, yes. I just, I just read a story about this that I found absolutely terrifying. It was, it was by Chiara Sotile and Ben Collins uh-huh. and for MSCBC, NBC, yeah. I think. And like, Yes. And like, oh, my God, I just I, I like I was reading it and I read this one paragraph and I it like I found it so chilling because they were talking about how wild like things like mega wildfires are good recruiting yes. events for militias. Yes. I was just like, Fuck. yes, because remember, this happened in Oregon a couple of years ago. Too, oh, it's right? happened there were militia of other
1: times. Yes,
0: yes. And I, I remember being really freaked out by the Oregon one because militia were had appointed themselves um, to like stop people who were evacuating because they were trying to figure out if like there were arsonists involved in, in the wildfires. And I was just like, Oh my God, just imagine like you're scared. You know, we've talked about this before. The, the like evacuation math is very stressful. Like you're, you're, you're like, should I go? Should I stay? When do I go? Okay. I'm going to go. I've packed up my car. I've, you know, loaded up my kids and my animals or whatever. And I'm on the road, and then I, I have to prove to some jack-off in camouflage with, with a gun because, of course, right, that I am, you know, just a normal person who is trying to get away from the fire and not someone who's, like, fleeing the scene of the yep. crime. So
1: let's, let's talk real quick about yeah. who Echo Company is. They're becoming this consistent presence in Mariposa County. It's not— really clear how many members there are and they were ousted from the larger california state militia organization in 2020 because they capitalized on these larger fictitious fears of antifa looters and for quote behavior that was interpreted as potentially insightful and militant so these people are too militant for the militias that's some scary shit oh god um
0: that is really they, scary. They have inserted
1: themselves. They have. Some, so like these people are not afraid to get involved. Actually, their motto is we who dare. Oh, boy. Um, and when there's not a disaster, they're mostly known for holding training sessions for its members and attending protests. And Yeah. Yeah, that's some scary shit. That is
0: terrifying. Yeah. And so I also just want to set the scene for people mm-hmm. of Mariposa yeah. County because I know this county, it's near Yosemite. It's like in this little pocket of California. So, like, people think of California as being very liberal, and it is, but that makes the right-wing people in California really fucking crazy. Like, they're so much more extreme Represent Amy. than <laughs> yeah, there this so this part of the state is where you will find the State of Jefferson, which is a little pocket of people in like northern California and southern Oregon who want to secede from the United States. Oh, like Texas. And create their uh-huh, yeah. They want to create like their whole own like new super conservative state because they they claim that they're not being represented, represented by their elected politicians.
1: Just so we're clear. Yeah. Just so we're
0: clear as who we're dealing with here. And so,
1: and the sheriff's office is not trying to get rid of these folks. So, uh, on Sunday, the sheriff's office said that they had been made aware of the presence of the the local militia. Here's what they said, direct quote. We appreciate their effort and any of the efforts of other private groups or entities helping our communities. Oh, God. They're just
0: volunteers. Yeah, it said that
1: they were acting on their own courteous accord. So, Yeah.
0: Wow. Here's the other
1: thing I wanted to talk about is that this... providing immediate assistance right after a disaster is a really common recruiting technique for militias, like you yeah. just mentioned. So, in mm-hmm. the aftermath of the Oregon fires in 2020, there were civilian roadblocks and they stopped at least one Black family and were ignored by the police. Members of the Oath Keepers have created a community protection team, six of whom for, were arrested for breaking curfew during Hurricane Michael in 2018. 2018, had you heard of the Oath Keepers? first in
0: 2018, Amy? No, no. I feel like I heard about them, I think, probably with most people in in the context of the the January 6th insurrection. I
1: heard about them in 2020 around the election. But these folks have been out here. Yeah. So one Oath Keeper named Joshua James, who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, met and joined the militia during relief efforts for Hurricane Irma in 2017. So wow! Try, try to imagine if this were happening in any other country, like maybe one of the countries we were just talking about with oil colonialism, right, where there's militias showing up after a disaster and offering aid and taking people in to join their ranks and handing out business cards with directions for how to join their ranks. Oh, God. Yeah. How is this not a civil war? Like, even the people who are quoted in these stories are asking for anonymity because they're afraid of pissing off the militia. So they're living in fear of these militias. Like, how are we not at a civil war?
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, again, I, like, maybe this is like there's so many things to be concerned about here. But I think maybe the most concerning one is just like how... In with the police, these groups are. Um, the fact that the sheriff is like, oh, they're just like helpful volunteers and thanks for the helping hand, guys. You know, it kind of sounds like, like Trump
1: being like, they're not here to <sighs> hurt me.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. One
1: last thing about these militias is that, like, okay, I can't prove this, but I wonder what happened to the militias that formed in the aftermath of Katrina. Because I I feel like some of those folks probably stayed in touch and formed other militias,
0: oh, like I'm just as a hunch. Sure, I'm sure. Yeah, of course, of course. So, I don't yeah, know.
1: yeah. I don't know. This is why you know yeah. why we talk about ecofascism so much. Like it's fucking real, and that's this is what it looks like in practice.
0: It's really scary. Again, I just feel like the idea that like you could be in real like survival mode crisis and, you know, come up against these guys is just very, very, it's scary. It is really And scary. also, I think this is, this is like where the gun reform stuff really dovetails with climate too, because like what makes it super scary is that these guys are armed to the teeth, right. you know, and and that gives them control and power in a way that, that they wouldn't have if they didn't have... Their their guns and their sort of like military cosplay mm-hmm. stuff, you know. Right. <laughs> like, I'm sure a lot of people see them and think, "Oh, it's National Guard, right?" Like, I mean, you're not really thinking about that in a in a, in an extreme weather event, you know. You're just like, especially if you've evacuated and you've been and you've like run from a fire. I mean, it should
1: be the National Guard, right? But like. <laughs> Our disaster response to this country is trash. So
0: Well, that's that's another thing, right? It's like this is this is why talking about like FEMA and disaster relief and all of that is really important in the context of this stuff because look at the huge vacuum that's mm-hmm. there for these guys to fill. Exactly. Oh God, that's so scary. Mm-hmm. That is so scary. Okay, I have a much less scary, more funny surprise story for oh, you. Oh God. <laughs> and- <laughs> It's funny, but also bad, but also something that I'm like, this seems like it's like a problem that can easily be fixed. Um, So I have been following this sort of like resurgence of the the private jet CO2 emissions discourse.
1: How did I know? Yes. Okay. Tell me.
0: Yes. It is hilarious. I've been,
1: like, seeing little snippets of the discourse on Twitter and being like, you know, you have to, like, be like, am I going to go down this rabbit hole or not? And I haven't gone down this one, so I'm glad you're going to tell me what it is.
0: Okay, Mary, my surprise for you is that the celebrity private jet CO2 discourse is back. And it's kind of amazing.
1: (laughs) Please don't tell me this is about Beyonce. Please
0: it's not. Actually, um, uh, Kylie Jenner and Taylor Swift seem to be the two Whoa! people getting the most white ladies. Yeah. Heat right cool. now. Yeah. So Taylor Swift was was found to have the highest carbon footprint for her private jet usage. And her response today was to say that she loans her private jet out a lot. And that's why. <laughs>
1: Who's borrowing Taylor Swift's private jet?
0: I don't know. But also, I'm like, that's not the point, Taylor. That's not the point. Like, the total emissions is the total emissions, whether it's you or, like, your friend who's flying on your private jet. The problem is the private jet, not who's flying what are, in it. are they,
1: like, going to Costco? <laughs> like, how, how do you take a private jet? How, where are you going? In a panty? <laughs>
0: Some of them are are genuinely, like, doing quick little errands and stuff. So, actually, our friend Darna Noor, who filled in for me earlier this month, um, she wrote about this for the Boston Globe because Kylie Jenner took, like, a 17-minute private jet trip.
1: 17, 17
0: minutes? 17 minutes.
1: Yes. Where was she going?
0: So, this all started because there was an Instagram photo that she posted with her and her boyfriend, and they had their two private jets side by side. Her boyfriend is Travis Scott. Oh yeah, the I caption. Yeah, the caption said, "You want to take mine or yours?" And it was the
1: plane. <laughs> it was. It's not the flex yes. you think it is. It's really not.
0: It's so gross. So, um, so then there's this app called Celeb Jets that tracks celebrities' private plane wow. fright, okay. uh, flights. And so she flew from Camarillo to Van Nuys. That is insane. That is like, so basically, like she was in, you know, like a little bit further north in California and she flew home in, in her private plane. So I don't know who she was. How long of a drive is that? It's like a 45 minute drive. This is truly like just ridiculous there. So then this kicked off like a whole batch of stories where people were comparing other celebrities, CO2 emissions. And this is how we found out that actually Taylor Swift is the biggest <laughs> offender. So this was, um, this was done by <laughs> insider.com. They looked at it and uh, it's all of the Kardashians are, are, are bad. Kylie Jenner to Blake Shelton. Oprah Winfrey is on there as well. But I don't think that Beyoncé is even on the list. Hold on. I'm she's pulling not in it up the top right three. now so That's I can all I tell need. you for sure.
1: I mean, look, I, yes, I need not all the of these three. people off no. of their private jets. I really do. Um,
0: yeah. So, yeah, the reason I'm bringing this up is not because it's kind of fun to poke fun at, at Taylor Swift, which of course it is. But please, Taylor Swift people, don't get mad at me. I'm sorry. but Just like,
1: to be very clear, it's the, Amy the, like, who is it, coming. It was all my friends. It's Amy who's coming for Tay-Tay, not me. All right. I'm disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed, Taylor.
0: Taylor's jet is loaned out regularly to other individuals. To attribute most or all of these trips to her is blatantly incorrect. This is the statement that Taylor Swift's publicist sent to Insider. The point here is that... Having a private jet is just totally unnecessary. I I, I honestly feel like of all of the the conversations around not flying or flying less related to climate, this just seems like the easiest thing to get rid of. Like, why have we not just banned private jets at this point? This is the type of individual action that actually is a really big problem. These are heavy, heavy emissions, and they're completely unnecessary, You know, like there's no, you cannot make any argument that's like, but I really needed, like, it's not a medical emergency. It's not like, oh, you know, my family lives far away and I need to see them sometimes. You know, there there are like, I think, reasonable justifications for some people to fly sometimes, right? Maybe, maybe people are required to travel for work, all of that stuff. This is ridiculous.
1: A 17-minute flight. A seventeen-minute flight, because that also makes me think of the time that you know their Malibu, the Kardashian Malibu home, was being threatened by the wildfires, and they got yeah. private fire firefighters to protect their home.
0: That's right. That's becoming more and more of a thing in in Southern California, in particular. Of course, it
1: is. On that show, uh, we crashed about we work.
0: Oh, you know, yeah. the wife was all about, mm-hmm. like,
1: we absolutely have to make sure we work is completely vegan now because now we have the the private jet. We have to offset our emissions. <laughs> and I don't know if yes. they put that in That's as like a, a joke. That's like a classic. Or what?
0: Well, I mean, I think it was a joke. It was like, I thought, I thought that was like a pretty smart critique of like how people think about these things. Because just to like put it in some numbers, private jet trips – we're responsible for almost 34 million metric tons of carbon pollution in 2016. I'm sure it's only gone up since there. That's more than some countries emit yeah. in an entire year. Yeah. So an entire country worth of emissions just from private jet trips. And we're talking about like a pretty small group of people, yeah. right? Like how many people have private jets? So one percent. So... Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think, to me, I was like, oh, this is a really good example of this thing that I thought the last IPCC report did really well, which is point out the fact that when we're talking about individual actions versus systemic change, it's important to, again, inject some nuance into that conversation and remember that the the wealthiest people in the world, their individual actions, especially when it's stuff like taking a private jet everywhere, actually do have a major impact, (laughs) you know? Yeah. and like there are ways in which those kinds of individual actions actually really impact the larger problem, but also the systemic options that are available to people. you know like if Kylie Jenner was like, "You know what? actually I'm not going to take my private jet anymore because I'm so concerned about climate change, that could actually have like a pretty huge ripple it effect. Could. On just how people even think about, you know, emissions and climate change and whatever. But yeah, it's I, I have to say it's been a delight to read about all of this stuff. It's very entertaining and like just kind of ridiculous to hear how some folks try to um, explain away these these ridiculous trips. The seventeen minute Camry to Van Nuys thing is just. I mean, she probably just didn't want to sit in traffic. You know,
1: Kylie. They could never live in Mississippi. I'll tell you that. Because a 17 minute flight yeah. to go 45 minute drive, like that's, that's yeah. running to the store. A 45 minute drive is running to the store for us.
0: I know. <laughs>
1: like, yeah. She couldn't cut it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yes. All right. Mary, it's been a few weeks since we had a good. Billionaire burn, but I have one for you today. I cannot wait.
1: Billionaire burn! The billionaire
0: burn! (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's favorite fascist, Peter Thiel.
1: Okay, can I make one quick uh, confession? So every time someone says the name Peter Thiel, I picture Frank Luntz and i know intellectually that they are oh, different people they kind of look alike they d- they don't yeah. look alike i just looked them up right before we started <laughs> recording and was like nope different person totally different face whole different
0: person i always think whenever i see stories um circulating about peter Thiel, i just think about silicon valley the the mm-hmm. hbo show cuz like he's the the inspiration for um for one of the characters yeah. on there and it's just like so it seems so just, like, dead mm-hmm. on. Uh, he has complained about how he's portrayed in that show, but um, but it seems very accurate to me based on everything I've ever read about him. Anyway, Peter Thiel, for those who don't know, is, like, a Silicon Valley gazillionaire. He made lots and lots of money in tech. Um, he has invested in lots of different things. He has been, um, a like, a venture capitalist for a really long time. He's a well-known libertarian tech guy, so he has, yeah that that whole that whole universe. Um, and then, like for a really long time, he was sort of the classic libertarian, which is like socially liberal but fiscally conservative. Oh, he also people might know him also for taking down Gawker. So. Um, Gawker basically outed Peter Thiel, which was not cool. You know, I think everyone can agree it's uncool for people to do that. But his retaliation was to basically fund Hulk Hogan filing a lawsuit against Gawker. Um, which financially bankrupted the company and, and like, took them yeah. out um, for good. And I, I believe, wasn't the Hogan thing, like, about some kind of sex tape? Yes, it was <laughs> about a it sex tape. It was wild, team. that There's story. a whole documentary about yeah. it on
1: Netflix. It's, it's crazy.
0: Yeah. Yes. It is really crazy. Really crazy. So, anyway, Peter Thiel likes to take down his enemies, um, which, you know, respect.
1: <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but he's... I mean, when you put that type of power into a libertarian tech bro, which I think we're all kind of learning, yeah. it's just, you know, the polite way of saying fascist yeah. in, in the making, <laughs> you know,
0: like. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I feel like people outside of California, especially, were very surprised when he became a huge Trump backer mm. in the 2016 election and beyond. But I think. I don't know. For me, I was like, yeah, that tracks. Like, if you know those people, mm-hmm. you know that they totally would back someone like Trump.
1: Where Where does Peter Thiel come down on climate change? Like, does he feel like it's real, but it's really far in the future and therefore not our problem and we can geoengineer our way out of it? Or like, where does he
0: there, there was a story a couple of years ago about like the, uh, this guy wrote in I want to say the Believer magazine about how it wasn't a matter of like utopia versus dystopia. He was predicting a climate feudalism where like the wealthiest few basically like enslaved the rest of us and kept all the resources for themselves. And that is like the world that Peter Thiel I think is like imagining himself being very powerful in. So like, it's real and he's going to capitalize on it. Mm, I see. I see. So,
1: um, let me guess, he's yeah. got a bunker? He's got a
0: bunker in New Zealand. He yes, he does. Of course he yes. does. Remember
1: yes. Remember in the early days of the pandemic, all of these like, super rich people were going to, like they had bought bunkers a long time ago, quietly, nobody knew, and then they went to live in their bunkers during the pandemic? Yes.
0: Yes. I think he did that at like one point in the pandemic. Yeah. He's very strange on the the climate front. Trump gave him a taste for these populist politicians, and now he's um, backing a bunch of of people in different state races. So the two that he's really spent a ton of money on are Arizona and Ohio. He's backing J.D. Vance, everyone's favorite fake working class guy (laughs) in Ohio. And he's he's backing a guy named Blake Masters in Arizona. And they're both like, I don't know. I mean, J.D. Vance, I feel like kind of feels a bit more Trumpian, you know, like he's he seems like he's just kind of out for himself. Like he just he's just like, will say whatever to get power and money. You know, Blake Masters is like a total fascist. And and that's the stuff that, that really, I think, is concerning about Peter Thiel. It's not just that he, like, wants power and money. He has said over and over again that he thinks that, like, democracy is a bad idea. Like, he says that out loud. Yeah, like, he's been saying it for, like, a decade, you know? Like, he's very in with the sort of, like heritage foundation people who are like, actually, democracy is is a mess. And actually, there are some people that you really don't want voting. Oh, yeah, he complains about women having the vote. Also, a thing to know about Peter Thiel. <laughs> and he has like, endless amounts of money, right? And he's getting involved in state politics now. And the other thing that he's done recently, which is why he's kind of like been making headlines again, is um, he has has backed a new investment fund whose stated intention is to basically compete with like BlackRock and and those kinds of funds, which Peter Thiel claims are too ideological and woke. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And therefore are not focused on the right thing, which is making money. And when it comes down to climate change, he's like, if it, you know, like any investment fund should, their only focus should be getting money in the hands of their shareholders and if that's your focus then you should be all in on fossil fuels and like who cares about climate change which i don't even think makes financial sense actually above and beyond all of the other reasons that you know we would we would be opposed to that idea i don't think blackrock started to care about climate out of like you know wokeness or the goodness of their hearts or like, yeah, wanting to appear enlightened or any of these things. Like, I think they looked at it and were like, oh, financially, this is not going to pan out. Right. Peter Thiel's argument is like, you should be making as much as you can off of fossil fuels in the short term. And like then, you know, transition. He kind of has his money in, in, yeah, in like a variety of Of things. Like he's not opposed to clean tech. He's just like, why wouldn't you also make money off of fossil fuels, you know? And he's kind of like, you know, investment funds should be politically and ideologically agnostic and you should just like be investing in whatever. And, you know, actually this this whole um, idea for this fund came about in part as a response to the the hedge fund that got seats on Exxon's board Mm -hmm. with the intention of like, getting Exxon to move away from fossil fuels. So they were just like, oh, this like share, this like shareholder activism thing has gone too far. And, you know, ESG, so environmental, social, and governance um, investing has gone too far. And it's like, it's ideological and it's not about making money, you know? I don't, I think there's a lot of problems with ESG actually. So I'm not like a huge ESG stan, but I mean, I think Mm -hmm. you have to be pretty far right Mm -hmm. and pretty conservative to think that, the investment world has gone too far on climate. (laughs) You know? Like, okay. (laughs) They're still funding, like, every fossil fuel development. So, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. Peter Thiel, really creepy, scary guy. I hope he gets a bad batch of blood from one of his blood boys someday. Just... (laughs)
1: I'm kind of scared of someone like that becoming a Republican kingmaker, mm-hmm. right? Like, I remember just thinking back to previous Republican presidential cycles, the people who, like, had candidates in the race were, like, Sheldon Adelson yes. and, like, all these other, like, really gross old Republican billionaires. Peter Thiel ain't old. no. Um, and he's just as dangerous. Yeah, you know. I think we used to have this really comforting idea that it was the old white men that we needed to worry about, but those old white men were young at mm-hmm. some point, point. and they were people like Peter Thiel, and they just like yeah. kept their money and kept pu- putting it into politics.
0: I think he's way scarier because he's also like like he, he he is like similar to Steve Bannon and and like that kind of mindset of like apocalyptic things are an opportunity like and and like that you know very much this like just a thought exercise what if no democracy like he's super comfortable asking questions i'm just asking questions yeah like i'm just just spitballing here yeah what's democracy ever done for us has certainly hasn't made us more money hasn't made us safer you know what i mean like he'll like he's very comfortable having those conversations and in a way that like even Trump is like that comfortable having, you know, like at least yeah. in public, the fact that he's so comfortable saying this shit. Like, why did we ever give women the vote? It's just like, wow. OK, like. <laughs> there's some... Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. That's it. Peter Thiel, Thanks. a gross and disturbing guy who I LD. hope crashes on a rocket one day. <laughs>
1: Same. um, Or at least, you know, goes into the bunker and stays and there. And never comes
0: back. Oh, yeah. That'd be good. What if, like, something went wrong with, like, the, the oxygen in the bunker? Just spitballing. Just a thought exercise.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And on that note, <laughs> that's it for Hot Take this week, folks. Come back next week when Amy has been scissored within an inch <laughs> of her life.
0: Uh, happy August. Bye. <laughs> Thought exercise, just a thought exercise.
1: I'm just asking questions. Hot Take is a Crooked Media production.
0: It's produced by Ray Pang and mixed and edited by Jules Bradley. Our music is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. The Kotakara is our consulting producer. And our executive producers are Mary Anais Hegler, Michael Martinez, and me, Amy Westervelt.
1: Special thanks to Sandy Gerard, Ari Schwartz, Kyle Seglin, and Charlotte Landis for production support and to Amelia Montouth for digital support.
0: You can follow the show on Twitter at RealHotTake, sign up for our newsletter at hottakepod.com and subscribe to Crooked Media's video channel at youtube.com slash crookedmedia.